Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. The Bible is not the easiest book in the world to understand. We have a tendency sometimes to interpret passages in our own thinking and rationalize and make it so when they're not what they ought to be. Satan comes along, upsets us, and sometimes causes us to abandon God like the college girl who comes home for holidays. She is raised in the church, announced to her mom and dad, and no longer believe the Bible is the word of God. It's a shocker. Why don't you believe that? Well, I have learned that apples don't grow in Kuwait, and that's where the Garden of Eden was. Wow. She had a great Bible knowledge, didn't you? What did apples have to do with the Bible? Honey, it might have been bananas, but they grow on stalks. That couldn't work either. So we just throw it all away. This might be a preacher's tale. I hope it is. But I want to tell you this story. How did we get the Bible? An old farmer told it this way. He said, well, there were 950 sheets of holy writ that came out of the sky. They landed on a dairy farm. A cow had died. And part of the hide got up and wrapped itself around it. It's 1,840 pages. That's the Bible. I hope that is a preacher's tale because it isn't true. However, there are many things we do not understand. There is a man in the church that I could call his name and you would know who I'm talking about who abandoned us a long time ago. He went to a Christian college, studied Greek to learn to convert everybody to Christ. In the process of his studying Greek, he learned that he didn't know everything, and he joined the alligator people, and he's still a part of the alligator people. Who are the alligator people? Those that don't have any brains. Alligator has a brain the size of a lima bean. Protects itself, procreates the species, eats warms himself, that's it. Reacts to danger. Here's some things about the text of the Bible. In the early text of the Bible, Greek, there was one capital letter in a book, the first letter. No spaces, no punctuation. Wow, nobody can understand that. Oh, you're wrong. 
because that's how the Greeks wrote. And men who translated the Bible read other things beside the Bible. They read Greek literature and they knew how to punctuate it. Wow. Gospel preacher stated that he refused to learn Greek in school because he learned we didn't have the original Greek texts and he had no confidence in what we had. Well, he had the New Testament in English. Where did that come from? It came from the Greek text. Now, why am I saying all this? Because I stand here as a man, limited by time, limited by space, to speak of a being that has no limitations. I'll have to talk to you about him from the Bible. And the Bible says very little about him. Oh, you might say it's full of him, yes. But it does not fully explain him because cannot. You mean God cannot fully explain himself? No, he cannot explain himself to me. Because I'm not capable of understanding himself. So the small amount I know about the Bible, about God, comes from the Bible. And I want to talk about him tonight. I have before you on the screen a word from the Bible. It is used 6,800 times in 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 the Old Testament. And I thought, is that one on the board? I said, there won't be anybody there tonight that knows what that word is. And Troy comes over to me a while ago and speaks the word. I'm just curious. I'm not going to embarrass you. How many of you know what that word is? Just raise, raise your, look, hey, got one down there. Got one down there. Got one back there. Great. I love it. First thing I want to do is show you a book. This is a book I bought in Boston, Massachusetts. The Commentator's Bible, the Commentator's Bible on Leviticus. That book is $80, $80. I brought it from a Jewish bookstore. This is the front cover. This is the back cover. Can you believe that? This is page 21. If you read page 21, you start right here and read this way, and then you go to page 22. You start reading here. Then you go to page 23 and start reading here. 24, 25. This book was published by a Hebrew Publishing Company. And the word on the screen is backward to us. The first letter is Yod. Second letter, starting over here. Second letter is Hey. Third letter is Vav. Fourth letter is Hey. Y-H-W-H. Thank you. I don't know who said Yahweh, but I heard it all the way up here. That is the name of God. 
6,800 times in your Old Testament. And you have never seen it there because we covered it up with the Lord in all capital letters. The Lord is his name. Never quite made sense to me. Yahweh is his name. Thank you. No vowels in the original. That's called a tetragrammaton, the four letters. After the Babylonian exile, this word was spoken very rarely. During the intertestamental period, the only person who could pronounce this word was the high priest. He pronounced the word, I think, nine times on the Day of Atonement. That's all. It was a holy name. And the people near the place of the the temple where he was officiating would strain their ears to listen to the pronounced name Yahweh. It was that holy. I want to show you some texts that we need to read. Let's go to the Shema. This is called the Shema. Next slide, please. There you go. You, O Lord, uh, excuse me, hear, O Israel, (laughs) Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You might say, my Bible says Lord. Yes, it does. But the correct rendering is Yahweh. Look at the burning bush. Exodus 3, 14 and 15. If I were smart, I'd stay here all night, but I'm not smart. But I want you to see Moses at the burning bush. He asked God, who are you? Who can I tell them sent me? God said, you're going back to Pharaoh. I don't want to go. Don't plan to go. But I'll think of one excuse after another. So he finally says, I don't even know who you are. What do I do? And God, here's what God said. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. I use the word my, uh, the Lord in there, but it's Yahweh. Yahweh, God of your fathers. God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth. Let's look at the meaning of what's happening in verse 14 and 15. Here it is. The Lord said to Moses, I am a yeah. I continue to exist. I always exist. And when God said, I am, continue to exist, here's what he meant. I exist now. I existed then. I will exist. There's no beginning for me. There's no ending for me. I am a Yah. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am, Eyah, 
has sent me to you. Moreover, now God said, wait a minute, I'm going farther than this. I'm not going to stop right here with that because you go back and you say, I am. Who sent you? I am. Who sent you to us? I am. That doesn't make any sense. God saw that. He said, I'm going further here. I'm going to restate this. God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the existing one, the existing one now, existed one then, the existing one tomorrow, and always. He just changed the tense of it. Yah is I am, and Yahweh is the one. The Lord, Yahweh, the existing one, God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to you, to all generations. Simple enough? I doubt that it is. Up to that point, Exodus 3, there had been no attempt to define Yahweh. Word occurred many times in the Old Testament. Genesis 2, 4, the first time, and then many times after that. There was never a definition of it. Moses might have heard his mother talk about Yahweh. I'm not, it was used commonly. His father. But he didn't have a real grasp of it. And perhaps they didn't even know what it meant. Let's look at Yahweh in public readings. The people came to be very careful about using that name, thankfully. The original Hebrew language had no vowels. That is, no written vowels. You can't say a word without vowels, so they put vowels in. We don't know where the vowels were. So what happened was, they came to a time when we just don't say Yahweh. It's too holy, it's too mighty. We can't say that name. Incidentally, there are people now that will not say Yahweh. And if there were some in this assembly now, they'd get up and walk out because I'm using the word. It's too mighty and holy to be used, they would say. So they took Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, and put the vowels of Adonai on it. Adon means Lord. Judge, like landlord or a shepherd, it also can refer to God. So they put those vowel points on there, and guess what? They came out with an expression, Yehovah, because of the way the vowels were put in there. You get the point? Now, the King James Version does not use Jehovah so much. It uses Lord. There are many translations that use Jehovah, and that is directly from Yahweh. Look at number six. I have a problem here. Show you the problem. Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're changing from Yahweh right now. 1 Kings 19 2. Jezebel says to Elijah after the prophets have been killed, So let the gods do to me, and more also, 
if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. See the word God up there in Genesis 1.1. See the word God's there in 1 Kings 19.2. Same word. Well, no, it couldn't be because one of them is singular and one's plural. No, the same word. Well, I see that probably the Hebrews had God capitalized there. No, 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 they didn't either. They just had Elohim. Eloah, E-L-O-A-H, means God. You put an I-M after that, that's plural, that's like putting an S on there. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, and so did to God's Elohim do to me. Go to the next slide, and I have that written out there. In the beginning, God, Elohim, plural, created the heavens and the earth. So let the gods, Elohim, plural, do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. That may be more than you want to know. Because you're saying to me, you're making God pagan. In the beginning, should be God's created the heavens and the earth. No, I didn't do that. God did that. And then the translators came along and they said, we're going to uh, make that a capital God. Messing with God's word? Stay with me. Don't leave. Oh. I was preaching one time and made one of those statements that's just so wrong. And I said, don't leave now. There was a brother there having back trouble. He came to me after it was over. He said, Brother Andrews, I was about to get up and walk out. When you said, don't leave now, he said, I had to stay. So don't leave now. Let's go down to the next slide, slide number eight. In the beginning, Elohim, plural, Created, singular, heavens and the earth. Bara is singular. In the beginning, God, he created heavens and the earth. So we have a problem here. We have a plural noun followed by a singular verb. That's just not right, is it? Not in English, but it is in Hebrew. It is in other languages. But look at 1 Kings 19.2. So let the gods, Elohim plural, do to me and more. Oh, where where am I? Yes. Do is plural to me and, and more also. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So it translates gods because gods are going to do, that's plural, and it fits. There's nothing mysterious about 1 Kings 19.2. Jezebel was talking about pagan gods. And Moses was writing here, Genesis 1.1, about the almighty God, about 
he was really writing about Yahweh, which is singular. And it's proved by the verb that follows. Please get this. Please see this. In the beginning, God, he created the heavens and the earth. Let the gods do, plural, and more also. Simple enough. Let's go one more time to nine. Number nine. Talk about the majestic plural. The Hebrews often use the majestic plural. And uh, construction is not unique to that language. I found a reference to Queen Victoria in the 19th century, Queen of England. She heard a tasteless joke and she said, we are not amused. That is called a majestic plural. What did she mean? I'm not amused. Well, Queenie, why did you say we're not amused? Because I'm majesty. That's how I refer to myself. I refer to myself as we. Because I'm important. I'm an authority. That's how I talk. That's how we talk. Well, let's look at a few Bible passages now. I can tell that you've got lot of questions that I can't answer. We're going to go through these passages. We're going to have time left. So we'll talk as you want to talk. Let's talk about theophany. Number 10. Theophany means appearances of God. Theos is God. Phanane means to appear. Look at Genesis 12, 7. Then Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give the land. There he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. I want you to notice now when you read in the Old Testament, Lord in all caps. It will surprise you where they appear. This could have said, then God appeared to Abram and it had been the same thing except the proper name of God is used here. Then the Lord, Yahweh, appeared to Abram, said to your descendants, I will give this land. There he built an altar to the Lord, to Yahweh, who had appeared to him. Genesis 18.1. And then Yahweh appeared to him, that is to Abram, by the terebinth tree in Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. This is when he comes to Abraham and he's about to go into uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. There were three angels there. And Abraham recognizes them as being important and referred to them as Lord, but he did not refer to him as Yahweh. The text there, and I picked up on this some years ago, I got real excited because I was watching for Lord, capitalized. <clears throat> the text refers to the angel of the Lord several times as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But Abraham never does. When he refers to the Lord, it's Adonai. Interesting. And of course, he, the two angels leave, and then the angel, capital angel, stays with Abraham, and they begin to negotiate. Abraham said, now look, if, if, you, if I can find uh, 50 righteous souls there, etc., comes on down to 10, and then finally thought, well, if we can't get 10 there, go ahead and destroy the city, which is exactly what happened. 
but he negotiated with Yahweh. Those promises were kept. How exciting and how interesting. Go to the next slide. Number three here, Genesis 26, 1 and 2. There was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then Yahweh appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell thee, tell you. Number four. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. This is at the burning bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Notice that the word angel is capitalized. Well, they must have done that in the Hebrew language. No, they didn't either. The translators did that. Translators did that because they believed this was Yahweh. Uh, the angel of Yahweh. They believed it was Yahweh. They believed it was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. We're coming to that in another lesson. The beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And this is how they understood it, and they understood it correctly. So this angel of the Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire, was not, did not burn out. You know the story there. Bush was not consumed. And then in Exodus 16.10, came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of Yahweh appeared in the cloud. The glory of Yahweh appeared in the cloud. You know what glory means in the Old Testament? In the New Testament, it means brightness. Old Testament is very different. It means heaviness. The heaviness of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Incidentally, the antonym for glory in the Old Testament is cursing. The lightness. To be light. But glory here is heaviness. Wow. What does that mean? Well, have you ever heard of someone with a heavy hand? That man has a heavy hand. What does that mean? He has a position of authority and he uses it. See, idea, that's what's meant here. The glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. God wasn't messing around with anybody, and the people understood that. They knew that. He was there for business. Continue with your theophany here. Leviticus 16.2, the Lord, Yahweh said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place, inside the veil, before the mercy seat, which is in the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Passages like this should make us shudder to think of God's presence. We're never apart from him. He's always here. But I want you to roll this service forward to Sunday morning. 
when we assemble here for prayer, preaching, singing, giving, and the Lord's Supper. It just gets almost scary to be eating that which symbolizes the broken body of our Lord. It began with the stripes on his back in Pilate's Hall or near Pilate's Hall. Cut down to the ribs. Stripes that heal us, heal our sins. And that little piece of unleavened bread we take symbolizes that. I asked a class one time, I wanted to see if they were honest. How many of you have taken the Lord's Supper sometime without thinking about it? About what it really means? Every person in that class raised his hand. You know what I did? I raised mine too. Such a dangerous thing, but we do it. And we take the cup, the blood that he poured out freely from his hands, his feet, his side for our sins. We'll take that Sunday morning. And I hope when we do, we're not on the beach or in Europe at a lovely dinner somewhere. I hope we're at the cross when we take it. Otherwise, we eat and drink damnation to ourselves. Look at Numbers 14.10. All the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord, Yahweh, Shekinah glory, appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Something unusual here. I was having lunch one day with Carol and Don. We were just talking. We were just talking, talking, talking. And we brought up the subject, something about God, I'm not sure. Carol said, that was Shekinah glory. Almost dropped my fork. I said, Carol, she said, did I say something wrong? Did I say something wrong? I said, no, say it again. She said, Shekinah glory. I told her, I said, in all of my years, I have never heard that word expressed in normal conversation. And I'm not going to ask you tonight, but I wonder how many of us have heard the word Shekinah to begin with, much less used it. It is a common word in spiritual circles. And it simply means God's heaviness is near. He's here. We're in his Shekinah glory. I just, I was just astounded to hear the word said. Now, you may be astounded that I said it, but it's a good word. There's nothing wrong with it. We just don't use it. 
1 Samuel 3.21, Yahweh appeared in Shiloh. For Yahweh revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord, Yahweh. You know the story. Samuel heard a voice, went in to ask his old friend Eli, what can I do for you, sir? Eli said, I didn't call. Goes back to bed, hears it again, and hears it again. And Eli said, "Uh, next time you hear that voice say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. What a tragedy. Eli wanted him to do that, but he probably suspected it was about him, and it was. And Samuel was just a kid. And he goes back and he tells, tells Eli what God said. And that was very, very, very sad. Very sad. I had a note in here that I missed and I still can't find it. Don't know what happened to it. But it is lost for good. That's sad. We are Americans, most of us. And we don't like another language, generally speaking. Many years ago, I was teaching at a university in Kiev, Ukraine. Faculty was gathered in the office before the day started. We were talking. Most of them were Ukrainians. I said, man, uh, if a person who speaks three languages is a trilingualist, what is a man who speaks two languages? And one of them said, a bilingualist? I said, yes. And what is one called that speaks one language? Silence. said, an American. And everybody laughed except the secretary. I said to her, I said, it's a good joke, isn't it? She said, no, it's not a joke at all. It's the truth. (laughs) It is the truth. We do not like other languages. At that same place, I preached one Sunday morning on John 1.1. That week I'd asked several people, several people asked me, what does John 1.1 mean? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. I said, I plan to preach on that Sunday. Had three people as I visited asking me that. I preached on it Sunday. You had to be there to understand this. I had a, I didn't have PowerPoint, but I had a, a flannel board there. And I had the words written in Russian and Greek. If I preached that at West Huntsville, when I finished, I'd have to say, John, I think you're still awake. Will you come and wake up the song leader so he'll get up and wake up the congregation? We hate it. When the amen was said, I was still in the pulpit and started off, the congregation 
ran to the stage quickly. They surrounded me. We want more. And we talked 30 minutes. I talked 30 minutes to that congregation on the pulpit there. There was a young man there named Leonid, one of my math students. Leonid was the kind of guy that if you saw him, you'd say probably he was raised on the streets or he ought to be in an institution, whatever. The kind of guy is pretty smart. Leonard finally came around. I said, Leonard, what do you want to know? He said, I want to know where you got those fonts to write logos there. <laughs> I said, I got it off the computer. He said, I want it. I said, come to my apartment. I'll share them with you. Logos is word, of course. That's how they feel about other languages. I was on a bus in a car one time in March, just about two days before I broke my leg. And some school kids got on the bus. Three o'clock in the afternoon, it was dark already. We Americans were talking and kids standing in the aisle were listening and one of them said something and a young lady about 16 said, shh. She wanted to hear English for the first time in her life. She was very impressed with it. Wanted to know that language. And back to Leonid now. I was preaching and happened to use the word slide rule. I was making an illustration. Translator said, slide rule, slide rule. What's a slide rule? She wanted it in Russian, of course. I didn't know Russian. Leonid spoke up with a Russian word. Oh, that what it is? Here we go. Smart guy he was. Of course, I'd have to explain slide rule to all of you too. The engineers in here don't know what a slide rule is. When I was in college doing pre-engineering courses, I took a course in slide rule. And I can use the slide rule, thank God. Okay, go to the word in Isaiah. This is a beautiful story here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's Adonai. I saw the Lord sitting in the throne, the throne. High and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, I am undone. I want to ask you a question. What if you were suddenly in God's presence? How would you feel about yourself? I can answer that for myself. But how would you feel? I would feel dirty and wasted. Well, James, aren't you faithful in Christ? Yes. But I don't measure up personally. I'm cleansed by his blood. I do wrong things. Not occasionally, I do wrong things. We all do. How very sad. And I feel sorry for this poor man here. 
Isaiah. You're right. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Now get this. You know the story there in Isaiah 6. Isaiah's called up to the throne room. The train of Yahweh fills the place, the seraphim about, and then he, his eyes see the king, the Lord of hosts. I want to read a section now from the New Testament. And I'm going to start in verse 32 of John 12. You won't get into later, but we'll, we'll get to 37, 39 later. I'm going to start in verse 32. Jesus said, and I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he should die. He would die, die by being lifted up. Lifting up is not resurrection. Many of my brethren think that's resurrection. That's not resurrection. Lifting up is death on the cross. The people understood this. They answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? When Jesus said to them, what, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spake and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs with them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet, going back here to Isaiah, we're going to get in verse chapter 6 in just a minute, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who has believed our report, to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed. Now, to the board. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, turn to him and, should, and he should heal them, I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who was that on the throne that Isaiah saw? It, of course, was Yahweh. But it was the one who walked the earth. It was, in the Old Testament, called the Word. Amazing? Amazing. Yahweh's not using the Old Testament. There's no need for it. Yahweh, the name of God, applied to the Godhead in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the Godhead is defined in three parts. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They have specific works to do. They do their works. In the Old Testament, God just appeared. Sometimes designated as the Word Sometimes like the Father, sometimes it's the Spirit. All Yahweh. 
Thank you so much for your attention. You have been very patient. You like Hebrew better than you did because you understand it better. Let's bow together. Father, we're so thankful for the blessings you give us, for the understanding we have of your word. We pray that you'll be patient with us because we don't have the capability of understanding who you are. We just accept you and believe in you and know that you will bless us as we serve you. Bless us as we continue our study on the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Word, that we might benefit, grow closer to you as the days go by. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to walk in the light. We pray through Christ. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.